guys. Good evening. Thanks for coming out tonight. We have some really good news. I don't want to throw out a spoiler alert, but Jackson yes, Hatfield God is born. here. Oh. Apparently, uh, Amanda has been laboring for 24 hours. 24 and, plus. Uh, so, just if we if we don't um, if you don't mind, let's opening in prayer. Uh, Gavin, Absolutely. would you mind praying for the Hatfield family and for um, just thanking God for Jackson's Amen. arrival? Thank you, Lord, for this uh, this time together and to be with you, Lord. We just want to give you praise and thank you for Jackson arriving healthy, Lord. I thank you for giving Amanda the endurance for the people that have been with her through this time. I'm just thankful for the answered prayer for for uh, this baby to be delivered and healthy. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been in... Um Matthew chapter 5 for several um, weeks in a row here. I do not think that's been wasted time. Um, we've been in the Sermon of, on the Mount and talking about the Beatitudes. Um, so we finished up the Beatitudes, but I'm going to go ahead and read through it one more time because we're moving on into um, the salt and the light, how we're called to be the salt and the light. Um, so this is Matthew chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes... He went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God, pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in going back um, to the Beatitudes, and uh, we talked about extensively when you're blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning if you know when you recognize your poor spiritual state, your bankruptcy to... Um, your own your own self and you have um, no means of your own to get into heaven to gain salvation um, then you mourn so blessed are those who mourn because you're mourning over your spiritual condition um, you're then meek you're accepting um, the control um, of God over your life um, and then you after you've accepted uh, you've got salvation um, you're hopefully then hungering and thirsting for more righteousness and then hopefully that leads to being merciful and showing mercy to others and then that leads even more to a pure heart and we talked about the order of all this and it's like a spiritual growth description of spiritual growth exactly birth and growth and so then you're uh, blessed are the peacemakers and then the promises that god has is that these are the ones that are um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven these are the people that are comforted that shall inherit the earth that um, are obtaining mercy have a pure heart they'll be called sons of god and when you've achieved all these things you don't look right to the world anymore. Um, you can guarantee once you're, if you're merciful and you're a peacemaker and you're pure at heart, uh, you're not going to be that accepted. It's just the truth. And he's saying here next that um, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And he's saying it's coming. It's coming. You can expect it. The world is going to attack that. You're never going to fit in. And um, and that's okay, right? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Our treasures are different in a different place. Our priorities in a different different place. Yep. Amen. So then, after you achieve these characteristics that he spells out perfectly in the Beatitudes, then we're charged to go out into the world and find the lost. Would you say that is that what we're leading into with? Um, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, so let's dive into that just a little so, bit. It's an interesting phrase right here in the in the transition here. So for, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus is talking kind of the regular Joes here. So to me, that would be a light coming on and saying, hey, he's counting us with the prophets of old. So, so once you've gone through this, this step, you, you are considered 
one of the representatives from God to the rest of the world. As prophets are considered representatives of God to people, where priests were representative people to God. So interesting enlistment here that Jesus just includes everybody in the crowd. You're going to be persecuted, and you, just like the prophets before you. Well, and one Honored thing, crowd. And one thing also, I know you're supposed to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and this necessarily isn't the case, what I'm about to talk about, but he's telling all these things that are going to happen to you. We're setting up. You will be persecuted. But then like in Ephesians, he talks about the armor of God. So it's another one of those things, like the, the case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote a book that there's been no document ever on earth that can back itself up, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So he's telling you all this, but if you skip a couple chapters ahead, it talks about the armor of God, how you can handle all these attacks that you will get. So there's, there aren't holes. The world yeah. tries to punch holes in this, but it closes itself up. You're prepared for it. Amen. Right. But he is telling us we're the plan. Right. We're the plan. And we're just the normal people. And he's always just used normal people, right? I mean, Amen. Who did who did like David, for example? David was a shepherd. Did he did he call David to kill Goliath with some kind of amazing weapon and some armor? No, he used stones. And when Jesus came, did he come to the nobility? Did was he born in a castle? No, he was born to a peasant. He was born in a stable. Um, to did a carpenter. The disciples were they these amazing? Um, a high priest with this great education. No. Genius IQs. Yeah, no. They were the sons as, of thunder. They were <laughs> as normal Joes as normal Joes can be. He's always used the normal people. Yeah. And that's the plan is for us to reach the world. You can't, I mean, we talk about these, you know, great preachers and the people that have written all these books and these scholars and yeah, that's great. They're not going to reach people like we're going to reach people. Right. And that's, I think, what we're hearing Right here. where they live. Well, and I think along the lines of what you're saying, it's in Philippians where, um, I don't know the exact chapter and verse, but considers others greater than yourself. And I think he's telling us, too, a lot of those, like the fishermen, they weren't even probably normal Joes. They were probably second-class citizens to the, to the normal people there. So, and I think he's telling us also that when we look at these people sometimes and we're supposed to consider them greater than ourselves, that's where the mercy and the grace comes in, too, that God looks at that person as they could be, in essence, prophet status. So. Yeah, and, and God's hand on them, of course, transforms them. Right. And the whole process here is looking more like his son. We're trying to look more like his son as the ultimate objective. I have no doubt that I'm God's greatest handicap when it comes to sharing the gospel and, and moving his kingdom forward. But he, this is what he's invested in. He's invested in our relationship. He's invested in the horizontal relationship um, to, to a, a great extent. And that theme is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where he tries to bring people together. When Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus, he required Paul to go to the church leader that he was going to arrest to ask him to pray for him. So God invests in that uh, horizontal relationship where he could have just said, Paul, told Paul, in three days, you're going to get your sight back. In the meantime, just sit tight. But he told him to go to the church leader in Damascus to ask him to pray for him. So God invests in that horizontal relationship. Uh, we shouldn't discount how much God is working on somebody that we think is not reachable or that, that Christ can't touch or change their life. I'm sure the guy, the church leader at Damascus, really couldn't believe that God was working in Paul's life already. So we, we sometimes discount what God's doing in, in the life of someone that we should be sharing the gospel with. We don't sometimes uh, realize that he's already done the groundwork for the gospel to be presented. Well, I won't steal too much more time because we haven't even got into the salt and light yet, but you said something great in our adult study um, was we don't understand where all these pieces fit together. And you said our life on this earth is like putting a puzzle together, but the picture's on the reverse side. We figure out how to fit it all, but we're looking at the back of the puzzle. And it won't be until we get to heaven that we will see the picture of what God sense, is trying sense. to put in. So. so when we're talking about salt and light, you know, we're there in it's decay and darkness. So where you have decay, you need salt. Where you have darkness, you need light. Um, so this is us being the plan. So just quickly here, like what would you say is some of the functions of salt, just in our everyday world. Like when you think of salt, 
what are some of its functions? It's important to, to look at the context too, because the, at the time, salt was a preservative. So everybody understood right. that salt was necessary to preserve food and to, to keep it from spoiling. So it was a preservative and a, um, I don't want to say purifying agent, because it wasn't necessarily a purifying agent, but it did keep spoiling Well, it's the closest happening. thing they had. I yeah. mean, at the time, pure, like, they would have to use it as some kind of purification process. They didn't have anything else. Hmm. So totally agree. Also for, for flavoring, mm -hmm. um, por uh, plagiarizing Sheridan Voisey's uh, comment on this, this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said life, life should taste differently because of Christian, uh, Christian's presence or Christ's presence uh, through us. So life should taste differently. So taste and preservation, um, salt was put on wounds for purification purposes, for healing. Yeah, it would clean, uh, cleanse a wound, it would get salt in a wound, it stings it, it's cleaning it. And the nature of salt, when you have some, your body craves more. Thirst. So, right. It creates thirst. Um, so just in kind of looking at some of these, I mean, are we being flavorful? It's just a thought. Are we bringing a flavor? I'm just talking to myself here. Yeah, they uh, say, I'm... Um, God's greatest handicap. That's certainly something. Is life different at my workplace because I'm a Christian? Is it different because I'm a Christian? Or are the lives of people around me affected because of my Christianity? It's a tough question. Well, yeah, and then we, we spoke a couple weeks ago about how much is too much or how do you approach people. Too much salt will ruin something. It'll make when you throw up. When, when you're talking about a seasoning, so that's something you need to temper yourself with if you're sharing the gospel with them a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, yeah. and maybe they will gain a taste for it. I was in McDonald's once, and a guy came in shouting hallelujahs and yelling at the people behind the counter, do you know Jesus? And You know, <laughs> God bless them. Yeah. But half the crowd was like, whoa, get out of my face. And yeah. the other half kind of went, are you, you know. Yeah. Are so, you from a mental institution? Yeah. You start wondering. So, you know, that was probably a whole load of salt right at once. You know, <laughs> God bless him. He might get a break, bigger crown in heaven. But, yeah, you need to watch how much Amen. you give it first. So um, in studying this, I heard an analogy I hadn't thought of before. But when you put salt on your food, you don't see it anymore. It dissolves into the food. I mean, can you, you know, it's got a hot plate of eggs and you put the salt on there. Can you see the grains of salt anymore? It kind of yep. dissolves into that. Um, so they called salt is our silent testimony. It's our life. It's our actions. It's our influence. It's our witness without us blatantly being in your face and without the words we're necessarily saying on behalf of the gospel. It's just us. It's our personal flavor. We had a... I can't even remember. I think it was a, a uh, one of the kids' programs for uh, a Bible school, and one of the devotions I, I just gave the devotion was about salt and us being salt. And I brought a big bowl of popcorn in, and I said, "Everybody like popcorn. Everybody like popcorn." I said, "Do you, do you like salt on your popcorn?" Everybody likes salt on popcorn. So I just had a little salt shaker, and I just threw the salt shaker into the popcorn. And I said, "Do you like it? Is this how you like it?" No, that's not how we put salt in. The salt actually has to go and intermingle with the food mm -hmm. for it to change the food flavor and to, to season it and to preserve it. You have to be actually in the, the food, living with the food, uh, your life melding with the food. The, the, of course, the analogy is our life has to be intermingling with those around us for it to be Well, effective. and too, if you think of us as a body, if we're the body... Our, and what we're supposed to be doing here is reaching people. Do you take just one grain of salt, like one little grain of salt, and throw it on the food? Then you take out, you know, the shaker, and you're, it's going all over. That's all of us. It's not just right. Ben yeah. preaching and Brad. Pre it's all of us as the body. Like, we, you don't just throw out one grain Amen. of salt. I just had a, when you talked about it dissolving in, we might not necessarily see our seasoning, quote, unquote, on people around us until the day of our funeral. You know, who, who will show up at your funeral? That probably the people that you have seasoned Seriously affected. Yeah. 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 So let's look at light for a second. Um, we have to have light. I know Amen. we talked about this. Um, until we moved out into the woods, I didn't realize how much darkness there really was <laughs> uh, because there was no electricity out there at the time. And I can remember that, you know, our house was under construction and uh, there was no light. And I can remember walking out and thinking, it is 
all kinds of dark out here and it doesn't take very much light like just a little just a cell phone turning on and that makes a world of difference just a little bit of light and that little bit of light gives you how much hope when it, it's so much more uh noticeable for sure uh when we went to the boundary waters this last time it, it's so dark out there you can see stars that you wouldn't see anyplace else we had the problem that we had to wait till the moon went down before we could actually see the, how brilliant all the stars were. So any other light, uh, when, when there's an absence of light, even the smallest light's gonna make a difference, but. Uh, well, and uh, when you get into the science of things, like um, cold is the absence of heat. Well, darkness, you can't create darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And you can't blend it. It's either right. light or it, it's not light, like there's not, a gray or there's no it's, it's either there's light or there is none there's it's not mixed well and i think that's a also a definite reason why in the beginning it says god created he called this one darkness he called this one light. so here's a question when he says if salt shall lose its seasoning it is then good for nothing to be tramped you know to tossed out and i had read um, or heard rather that salt, now that we know, we can't really think of salt losing its flavor. But back then, when Jesus was preaching this, they didn't have the processes and things uh, that to we purify. have today to make yeah. the salt. So salt literally could lose its, its flavor, its um, season, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they literally tossed it in the streets. They didn't want to throw it on like fields because that would kill, kill things. Yeah. So they would literally throw it out in the street. Um, and then it says, you know, you wouldn't light a light and put it under a basket. Is he saying, could you lose your salvation? Is you think is that what he's saying here? No, I think that the the point here is that light is never intended to be hidden. There's never there's a purpose for light, and it's never intended to be hidden. You don't make a, a beautiful city. You don't build a city and illuminate it, and then try to hide it in a valley. Uh, so a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It shouldn't be. And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. There's just, that point is, um, it's ridiculous. It's absurd to try to hide light uh, when light is specifically for finding things. So, Well, and we live in such a jaded community. Everything is backwards. What's right is wrong in the 20th, 21st oh, yeah. century. Back then, this is, he's, he's just laying it straight out there. You don't put a lamp under a basket, black and white. You know, he doesn't have to get into too many details. Yeah, to show and the, the waste of that light because right. that's a resource that's not easily gotten back. You couldn't go to Walmart and get candles. Uh, right. So uh, the waste so of that why light. Why would you do that? Why yeah. would you do that? It's a tremendous waste of resource. And again, I'm not a Bible scholar. We know this. Anything I'm saying is because I've read it from <laughs> I plagiarize else. everything. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, of course, John MacArthur. I was going to say, you are John MacArthur's niece. This episode is not so. uh, <laughs> sponsored by John MacArthur, but his preaching is so solid. But he said he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about losing your influence. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, it is, it takes next to nothing to lose your Christian influence, um, to lose your salt, to hide your light. Um, and I'm just thinking I, I would be ashamed to give examples, but there are many. I think if we're all being honest, how fast and easy it is to lose our influence. It takes uh, a lifetime to get a good name. It takes about 10 minutes to lose it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard minutes. someone say once, who in this world doesn't have one night of their life they'd like to take back? Like everybody. Amen. And I always love the one, a reputation will enter the room before you do. Yeah. 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 So when we're talking about... Uh, salt, we said, is our silent testimony, just our day-to-day -day living. Light is our witnessing. It's our open testimony. It's us um, pursuing people, preaching the gospel, spreading the word. Um, Making a, a line of truth or establishing a line of truth or exposing a line of lies or, you know, the exposure of truth and, and uh, uh, deceit is, is another function of line. Light is used for discovery and science. It's used for purifying things also. Um, it, concentrated light will etch something. It'll burn it. It'll go right through it. So um, there's a lot of applications for light that are, have a spiritual counterpart. Um, so a amen. What, how you shine in your, your community will ultimately expose good and evil in your community. And two, with the salt, if um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to put salt in your wound to sting it. You don't want, that hurts. The cleaning process hurts, but it's necessary, right? So if you're being the salt you're supposed to be, 
it might sting a little when you tell people the truth. Larry sent in a meme that said, truth sounds like hate to people who hate truth. Um, and I like it. That is so true. But when you're telling someone the truth, uh, that stings, but it's necessary because it's, it's for their benefit. Um, and, and it will preserve them. Amen. Them and a lot of times when I'm talking to somebody on the internet that, that we're disagreeing and they have an opposing view, I don't necessarily try to win them. I just want the light to be, to be dispersed so that other people can see the errors of their thinking or the error of their ideas. And I, I try not to, I, I'm working, to, you guys have seen me online, so you know that I'm not always the, the Christian response person, but I, I try to be that way. <laughs> when I you. look at those posts, I'm like, oh, man. Thanks, Tom. Keep praying for me. <laughs> but I want other people to see that there's an opposing view and there's some, some real dangers in some of the ideas that they have. And it's not necessarily for them. And I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I hope they ultimately come around to some things like abortion. Um, but it's for the people who would listen right. otherwise to another side. Well, and it's another one of God's constants or a um, absolute truth. You cannot deny light other than putting yourself in darkness. So if there's lightness around you, you have to physically remove yourself from that. Otherwise, you're consumed by it, you're absorbed by it, and you, like a Christian, should give into it. You know, that's the calling of the transmit Holy Spirit. Transmit right? should be, our life should be pure enough to transmit light. And I, and I think that's absolutely, you know, um, the, the greatest sin is blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. You have to physically deny that light to deny God. And God says he is light. In, in, in a way, we're like a lens, and the dirtier our, dirtier our life is, the more impure our life is, the less light gets through. It's not our light. We're just supposed to be transmitting God's light to, so that other people can see. All right. So just some questions to leave you with. Nobody answer these out loud. But how's your, how's your light? Is your light shining? How's your witness? Are you flavoring the world? Are you helping to cleanse some wounds? Are you creating thirst? Are you acting like a preservative? What? How's, how's your salt? How's your light? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> Don't send me any angry emails. Keep working on it, though. As I'm saying this, I'm pointing right back to myself. So. All right, we'll stop with that and uh, do I'm Just Saying. So last week I wasn't here for the Dear Widows segment, and I don't know how that went. I don't, I'm not sure how Ben... I think uh, my female influence wasn't there as I'm the non-deer hunter on the receiving end of It wasn't deer. terrible. <laughs> no, and I took the role of offending people because I think I actually... Get out of here, Tom. I think <laughs> I offended Ben a little bit when I said uh, I had a problem with deer widow until I grew up and matured. And he's Ooh, like, oh, yeah. matured. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think he took a little cause for that. But. Well, I'm just saying I've really enjoyed deer season this year. I don't hunt, um, and I know we're getting into the rifle season coming up, but uh, I think the secret to the deer widow thing, and I was going to say this, is things like craft fairs and, <laughs> and yep. women's outings, and this year for the first time we booked like a girl's dinner, and just uh, to all the deer Fair widows game. out there, I'm just saying... If you just throw some money at the problem, and it I, goes away. And Ben did talk That's, about that. He did. Yeah, I, I asked him, is there such thing as a shopping widow? Shopping, you know, yeah. on the male, male side? Well, certainly. Certainly is. Yeah, so anyway. I'm, and I'm I asked him, I, I represented you well. Do, do the ladies get to spend the same amount on the the outing that they go on that the men spend on the oh, and he man. said absolutely not oh <laughs> so. i was like that's a fantastic guy that would solve a lot of problems <laughs> is, there, sure. is there is there equity well there? and that's not true because i bought a new rifle the other day uh -oh. and Lindsay bought two like real pretty stocking caps yeah so she got close. to get something but yeah probably it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't really the quiet. same price sorry pennies uh, to the dollar really yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying. I do. I posted something on my Facebook page today, and I was—I w I thought it was obvious satire, but everybody started taking it serious. I was like, "Wait, th this is satire. It's—it's it's terrible when real events are so close to the satire you can't tell the difference." I'm just saying that we live in those times. Yeah. The news uh, website, The Onion, they always have ridiculous. Yeah. yeah and so nowadays, you're right. I'm like, is that real? You yeah. know, like. <laughs> Yeah. The Babylon Bee, the Onion, oh, yeah, and I, I just th threw one up in satire, and, and then everybody was responding like it was real comment, and I was like, this is satire. Is there I'm a just chance kidding. you can share with us, or do we have to I, get on I, 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 I faked a Nancy Pelosi quote, uh, we're going to have to impeach the president to find out what he's done wrong. <laughs> 
like she did with the, the original Obamacare. We're going to have to pass the bill Read to see it. what's in it. Yeah. But everybody thought she really said it. And I was like, hey, well, this is just satire. Sorry. But that's fake news. Sorry for the fake news. Yeah. I are, was contributing to fake news. Oh, uh, satire. Yeah, I had a, I'm just saying, and most people know, I just want to say uh, anger is a terrible thing. So I now have a $2,100 play school scooter in my front yard because <laughs> I tried to relocate it from my front yard to the field in one swift motion, and I have surgery in a week because I ripped all the tendons out of my right arm trying to do that. So Showing that scooter who's yeah. boss. Yeah, so I'm just saying, you know. Uh, $2,000 don't, don't lose your temper. And Put it to, on eBay. Don't, you know, if I would have grabbed it with two hands, I probably would have been good, but one hand, I got yeah. good distance on it, but yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, it was a sin, and it, it costs, it's costing me some money now. So. <laughs> that will happen. It's like a little humbling. All right, so our next topic, actually, um, my husband posed this question. It was very simple and very profound all at the same time a few weeks ago, and it was just simply, why do you think people today don't believe in Jesus? <clears throat> Boy, it's a really good uh, topic right after the discussion we right? had about salt and light. Could Ouch. it be because we're not being the salt and the light that we need to be? <laughs> like, I mean, it that just... comes from one of my favorite Gandhi quotes. He's like, I might actually believe in Christianity if I ever met a Christian. And I was like, man, that stings. But there's, yeah. you know, that's the discussion to be had. Yeah, he, he also said, I, I like your Jesus. I don't like your Christian. Yeah, right. so I, I like him. So, yeah, yeah. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if that's the whole answer. Yeah. I, I, there's a all all of the worldly resources that can be mustered together are are basically assaulting the gospel message and Christians and Christians are never portrayed as the sages that you know other religions are portrayed as in uh, just your average shows. I mean, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of amelioration of the natural consequences of bad decisions. I mean, our government ke keeps you from feeling very much of the consequences of bad decisions and a lot of times discourages you from any kind of religious insight. You know, the, the, the discouragement there, especially in our, in our public schools, it's discouraged. So there's a lot of other forces at, at work here, but I, I don't, you know, the, the true godly, spirit-filled Christian is, the, is God's tool. So, so it, it, it rests on us. The, the majority of it rests on us. I had said um, initially to the comment, and this might be right, it might be wrong, and, or, you know, it's just an opinion. But I think most people today in America, 2019, they're just busy doing their own thing. And they may not be doing anything, quote, that bad. They're just not paying attention. Uh, it's just Jesus and church. It's just not on their radar. I got Little League sports to get to. I've, I've got this, you know, great career and you know, the kids are good, and, you know, I'm happy in my marriage, and they're just going through life, and everything's just kind of, I don't really have time for that. The uh, onslaught. Not, not really worried about it. They're distracted. They're busy. They're, it's just not something they feel like they need. They've got their maybe great education. The income is great. They've got lots of friends. Everybody's coming over for the football game on Sunday. I mean, they're they're living life and they're you know like i said not bad people they're not out there hurting anybody they're working hard they're paying taxes and just jesus not on the radar i'm a good person i really don't need what what do i need religion for i'm a good person doing doing good doing well well and yeah. I, I hear a lot of Very times good. too it's not fair i don't want to believe in a god that i'm a good person and he if he would send me to hell that's just not fair and I, uh, I love hearing that because I said, you know what wouldn't be fair is if I get to heaven and I'm standing in a line of like devout nuns and, you know, people that are at a different level of spirituality and they turn around and look at me and they'll be like, well, that ain't fair. <laughs> what is that guy doing here? So, you know, we really need to been a mistake. Yeah, we need to put ourselves <laughs> on a level of where, where we're actually at. Amen. And another thing that's not fair is, is that, that God hasn't given me what I deserve. I mean, that, that's not fair, and, and I, I'm grateful that he hasn't given me what I deserve. I'm, I'm talking about he's given me mercy rather than what I deserve. That, that's not really fair either. I mean, it, it, I should get what I deserve, but he stepped in and given me mercy instead. And I'm very careful um, with saying, like, all liberals are, they don't believe in God, or all Democrats all believe in abortion. That's not true. You know, there's Christians in all walks of 
like. But the, but the one thing I don't like hearing, um, oh, I got myself off track. I, I was thinking of something else I just sent him. So you can't say, you can't package everybody, any, any one group into all or. Oh, right. So. Well, okay, so now I know what I was going with that. So I heard something the other day with some of the things we hear from in the political world, like with some liberalism and socialism things, is it does tend to lean for no Christ or no belief in God. And it's a lot easier to lie to somebody when you don't feel like there's anything higher. So, and I think the nature of our world, the secularism and worldly possessions and stuff, if you don't believe in a God, you can do whatever you want to do. So they might know he's there. It's a God says he declares himself in all creation, so they're without excuse. I think the people that don't believe know there's something there, but they would just rather push it out of the way because they can further their agenda a lot easier. Yeah, and there's a, there's a natural bent towards pragmatism that Tara was talking about. If it works and it is working, I don't want to, I don't want to change let's anything right now. This, let's yeah. not mess up a good right. thing. You know, if Doesn't I Doesn't seem broke this, to me. Yeah. Somebody texted in, most people don't think we need it in our lives because we're blessed. So, you know, why need it? I don't need it. Yeah. I, I think, do people maybe not consider the afterlife? Like at what point does somebody stop and think, is this all there is? Like, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Oh, what's going to happen? I mean, do I don't know. Do you think people are at some point are like, well, you know, we just die, we go on the ground and decay, and that's it? Same reason why 18-year-olds don't care about their retirement. You know, it, it seems so far <laughs> off. It, you know, and it's like I, I, I've talked Until to, it's not. I've talked to a lot of people, even in their early 60s, that they say, you just get tired of the world. You just... That you don't even care no more. You're ready to die, in essence. You know, it's like Jimmy Carter. He's 95 years old, got the best health care in the world. He just had brain surgery today. But he said he's at ease with dying. And I think that comes with age. You know, you've lived your life. But even then, are you thinking, what about the afterlife? Right. You know, what if, what if there is a heaven? What if there is a hell? Which And I hear people, you know, joke about it. I hate to say it. Um, even today, I had a patient and they said something along the lines of um well you know if i wake up here you know if i guess if i don't wake up here i'll be on i'll be on the other side i don't know which side ha 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 you know what i'm thinking that's scary (laughs) bro but you know that'd be a horrible horrible way to find out horrible way we got a comfortability with god that i think is unhealthy i've talked about numerous times that god's kind of like our buddy you know and it says beginning of wisdom is fear of the lord and he says multiple times, you know, don't fear who can kill your body. Fear who can kill your body and send your soul to hell. You know, so I think we're just, we're all good with God. And we don't have that healthy fear of him as we should. How many people know that, though, Thomas? I mean, how many people that we interact with? Because I can tell you, I've never said those words to anybody that I work with. And I'm not saying, I'm, I, I'm indicting myself here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that's where light comes in. Where, like, do you know that the Bible says that, there is a place of eternal punishment and separation, yeah. darkness, and torture, torment for those who don't know him. Um, the same people who curse God because of all the evil in the world are the same ones that curse God because he's ultimately going to confine all evil in hell. So the same people that says, well, uh, why is there all this evil in the world? Then on the other hand, they say, well, a good God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Right. God is going to stop evil. Yeah. yeah, God is going to stop evil. It's not in space. It's in time. There's a, there's a day which there will be no evil past that point. Uh, and people, they blame God both ways. And it's, we want ultimately an existence where there's no pain, no suffering. God's got that in store for us. And, and well, and we're in a desensitized culture. It happens every day. It's happening with the movies. You know, we see a Keanu Reeves movie where he's walking through hell, and we're like, wow, that's pretty cool looking. You know, see, Jack. Well, yeah. like, there was a great sermon. You might remember the name in the 1700s called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yeah. And they said, literally, after the preacher was done, people were standing on the pews. They were so afraid to touch the ground mm-hmm. because he depicted hell so scary mm-hmm. for them. And it's like we've just become a culture that. There's nothing shocks our senses anymore. Yeah. And I think we've just kind of become numb to the thought of hell. Yeah, there's, there's so many aspects of this question. We could do this oh, yeah. the, probably another week. The other aspect of this I mentioned in the prior section is we just don't give much credibility to what God's doing in the other person's life. And I, I'm, I've shared a, an instance where I felt 
burden to share the gospel with somebody I was working with and put it off for months and was just, I thought, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to think I'm crazy. I don't think I'm, you know, uh, whatever. And finally I said, okay, God, I'm just going to share it with you. It's up to you to what happens. She, she prayed to receive Christ right there. Um, so we don't, I can't give much credibility or much stock to God working in that other person's life. And then when he burdens us to say something, to realize that he's making that investment and that bond between us that he goes a long way to, to strengthen and have another person come to know him through us. That's how God does it. He uses us to do it. In the littlest ways, um, I got the blessing of shameless plug for the Easter walks, April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th this year. But um, so I got, I got to stand when they do the witnessing to the people and, uh, I was just praying, you know, I hope somebody raises their hand. And these two little girls, they were like eight and ten, real timidly, they raised their hand. I was like, wow. And when I come back here, I got to share with all the actors. You might have had a silly part or you might have had a non-speaking part, but you had an influence in that decision. And that's us believing in that Jesus. And I think if, if you're not in an event like the Easter walk, well, you going to your job tomorrow is an event to God, Amen. and you need to play your part. And He wants you to, in some way, declare who He is. Amen. And don't be That's afraid to start the discussion. In the yeah. Again, um, I, have you guys seen on social media this? Uh, no. It's a I meme. Can tell you. <laughs> it's a meme of a lady screaming and crying, and she says something. And, and then, then the there's white a cat, cat. What sitting is that about? at a dinner plate. Yeah. I don't understand. It's probably something. That it's I, everywhere. I sent one to Brad. This come across today, kind of what we're talking about, people that don't believe in Jesus. I put them on the spot. You can't see this in Radio Land. But um, uh, Brian Kingston posted this today, and uh, he's a pastor. Mm -hmm. what, what church does he? Uh, in near Potosi, uh, White Oak Grove? Is it White Oak Grove? Might be the one they're doing the revival. Cr Crossroads. Yeah, right there. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the cat has, you don't even go to church when it rains. <laughs> so, you know, that's the... I don't this know meme this, is everywhere. It the, is. It's, this, it's the same pictures, but different captions. Yeah, everywhere. it's probably like The Bachelor. You go to church when it rains. Yeah. So, you know, I think that could sum <laughs> up a lot hilarious. of why don't people believe it, in Jesus. It, it's, we believe when it's convenient. It, amen. Yeah, that's true. Amen. We, we, we don't act it every day. We're not right. consistent. We're not consistent. Right. Amen. And God still chooses to use us. I don't understand. And he still uses us. Yeah. And, and how, what a blessing that is. A amen. The, the, the few times I come up here and, and get on the altar, it's like, wow, you're still here. Sorry. I disappeared for a while. I'm back. Thank you for being constant. Yeah. And, you know, I can recall, and this is not so distant past, but Ben was saying, you know, come to the altar and pray. If you, you know, say, if you feel, I've heard him say repeatedly, if you feel like you need to do something and you're going to be sinning if you don't. And I can remember very distinctly thinking, my pride is such an issue and I need to really pray and confess. And I was standing or in the back where, of course, as a good Baptist, I'm in the second back row most of the time. And I'm like, I don't want to walk up in front of all these people and pray about my pride because I don't want them to think <laughs> there's something yeah. wrong. I'm too proud. <laughs> too proud for that. And, yeah, church discipline. And I, I'll even bring it up to him because it's a good thing. I love when he makes the altar call. If there's anything in your life that would shame the church, just come up front and pray. And by your act of doing oh. that, us as a church, you know, because I, I wish everybody would walk up because we all have, every given day, yeah, every we given do day, something yeah. that if it was brought to light would shame Christ and shame the church. And so I do love that church discipline. But you can do that in your own heart, in your own house. You could do it right now listening to the radio. You know, we forget people are going to be listening to this. They could stop right now and just say, God, you know what I've done. He just wants us to admit it and Forgive ask for me. forgiveness. All right. Um, so we just celebrated Veterans Day on Monday and um, Sunday at church. If you were here, we did the color guard. That was really cool. Um, and uh, Mandy talked a little bit about some of the history of the flag and um, just kind of the sacrifice it took to keep the flag. Star Spangled Banner. The Star Spangled oh. Banner. Yeah. And actually, um, can you give a recount of um, oh, a little oh. bit of that story about keeping the flag standing? So it was uh, over a a fort, and I, I want, it wasn't McHenry, thank you. And during the night, they kept expecting the fort to fall. And then the, li the lights of the bombardment would light up and they would see the flag, and Francis Scott Key saw that and pinned 
pen the words to the Star Spangled Banner. And the, I'm still not understanding the, someone else wrote, put it to music at some point later, um, but that's about all I know about it. And they kept the flag standing in it. Was it several different men who kept coming through to keep the flag right, in the air? Right. Yeah. Well, and it's no different than Lindsay asked me about that. Is that true? I said, well, yeah, in, in all wars, especially the beginning wars, not nowadays, but when they would march across the field, you would have a flag bearer, and they would be holding your flag. And routinely, just like in the Civil War, and they had the old lines, they would mow down the first line, and if that flag bearer went down, they picked up the flag. And that's a man without a gun. And that's how important that flag was. And a was. rallying point. Yes, and, if, and if, if those soldiers could see that flag standing, they know, hey, we're still in the fight. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just black and white again at the end of the battle. The flag that is still standing are the ones who won. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, mm -hmm. so when you see people nowadays stepping and spitting and burning on the flag. Yeah, it, it's, it's a symbol of who we are. It's yeah. a symbol of what we stand for, it is. And peop, the, the disrespect is very heartfelt. Right. And so in keeping with kind of honoring our military and the military history, Tom, you had a bit about the history of chaplains in the military. Right. And I think, yeah, they go hand in hand. Um, and I'll start with uh, chaplaincy has always been near to my heart. I wanted to go into the military as a chaplain. I was just naive. I didn't really know how to do it. I always loved the show, MASH. I always enjoyed uh, Father Mulcahy, Mulcahy. Mm -hmm. um, and just what he did. And so... Um, chaplaincy, when I went into basic training uh, for the Air Force, I was always told, get a good job when you go into basic. You don't want to be, uh, hey, I'm the go-getter guy because they're going to pick you out. You just want to kind of fly under the radar. And I didn't even know of a chaplain guide. So when they were handing out jobs like the first couple days, you know, Christ was in my heart. I was saved. But they said, hey, we need chaplain's assistance. And I was like, raise my hand. Well, what I didn't know is what a blessing came with that. So every Sunday when everybody else is like cleaning the dorms and doing push-ups, I had to march with a couple other people to the church and set up the church and, you know, help make sure everything they need. Get ready for service. Get ready for service. Huh. And the scariest thing was, is you're a brand new troop. Well, you stood by the officer's parking lot and you would have to salute everybody that come in. So we'd see like generals and, you know, I just... And as a young first day of the military, you're scared to death. But it was a blessing the whole time. Uh, side note is like in basic training, or I'll just use basic training, the, the fields are ripe for picking. I mean, 1,500 people a service. You know, I mean, these kids are just crushed. They're lost. They're homeless. Afraid. They don't know what to do. And you see them reaching out. So it, it's wonderful to see that. And so as for chaplains in the military, I looked up a few things, and it says... The first thing that George Washington asked the Continental Congress for was a provision for the chaplains. One of the first things he asked for. So when we talk about our Christian foundings as a nation and we talk about defending this nation and that flag, um, that was on his radar. It says the U.S. Army Chaplain Corps was officially established July 29, 1775. So nearly as old as our country is itself. There has been chaplains in every war ever fought in the United States military, starting in the Revolutionary War. Um, so I've got some numbers here, because, uh, and feel free to ask questions, I got some neat stuff here. But chaplains are non-combatants, so that means they don't carry weapons. There have been a couple instances, like in World War I, a chaplain was asked to run a, a tank gunner. Well, he jumped in and started firing, and he got reprimanded and discharged from the military. Oh, they wow. called it an egregious offense. Now, the Geneva Conventions doesn't state that a chaplain cannot carry a weapon, but across the board, they basically hmm. don't. So we've had um, the number I had here, I believe it's 491 have died since the beginning of our country. The Revolutionary War, 25 chaplains died. Uh, War of 1812, one died. Mexican War, one died. And the Civil War, 117 on the Union side, 41 on the Confederate side died. World War One, 23. World War II, 182. The Korean War, 13. Vietnam War, 15. Iraq and Afghanistan, one. And, um, you know, so that it's not a safe job per se. Um, chaplains in the military are, are trained to serve a spiritual need, regardless of the person's faith. So that's something with chaplaincies. You're more of a spiritual counselor than a pastor. 
You know, a pastor of a church will have a denomination. Um, so uh, a lot of times a chaplain will go into an area and they will meet with local tribe leaders or local regimes, find out their faith, and between those two, they kind of negotiate. All right, well, this is what you guys believe in. We'll try to not do this. And now that has all changed with insurgencies mm-hmm. and dictatorships like ISIS. They don't care if you're a Christian. They don't care if you're a Jew. Care what you're. They don't care if you're Muslim. They're yeah. going to kill you. So the, the, the Geneva Conventions, of course, don't apply to them. So the warfare has changed. But um, they, uh, if they're captured, they're not considered prisoners of war through the Geneva Convention. So if we go to war with China right now, and you're a chaplain, and they capture you, technically they're supposed to send you back to your home of origin. So it's, hmm. it's kind of neat. Makes Something you wonder you... how many times they've upheld that yeah. and in war since the, you know, and it's interesting that you said that with the Geneva Convention, because in studying for Blessed are the Peacemakers, and I was, you know, researching the peacemaker portion of it, and something interesting that was said was that, um, how many peace treaties have been broken? All of them. All of the peace treaties <laughs> have been broken since yeah. the existence of peace treaties. Right. Well, and that's where, this is another side note, that's where the world a lot of times with Christianity, they will fight you on the founding of this nation because what happened to the Native Americans? And we founded this country for freedom of religion, but yet we were pretty aggressive to the people mm. that had their own They were savages when we come here. So that might be a topic in the future. Um, but uh, chaplains do not go through basic training. So they don't take the gun classes. They don't climb through the mud. They go to a 12-week course for non-combatant training. And you have to have an endorsement from your religious affiliation. So let's say I wanted to be a Baptist chaplain. I would have to have either a local church or the association say, we put our stamp of approval on this oh, guy. Just, like, just yeah. like when you get licensed to preach, which I am through this church, that's Bethel saying, hey, this guy, yeah, you can, you can trust what he does per our standards. Now, if I go wayward, they can also pull that away and say, all right, you can go preach, but we're not You're gonna, on your own. You're on your own. Um, there was a couple um, uh, that the, what chaplains struggle with today kind of started with President Bill Clinton with the don't ask, don't tell. Because if you think about today with our LGBTQ and all that, if you're a chaplain, well, they never had to really worry about gays or lesbians being in. Um, and when they can't necessarily confront that. So the don't ask, don't tell. And I know President Trump just blocked the transgenderism in uh, the military. So they do face certain challenges that they have to bypass. Same that, social issues. That... Yeah, the same social issues that we do. And... Um, especially you think of them being non-combatants, they are actually, um, in a lot of the documents they find when they bust these terrorists, like al-Baghdadi that was just killed, um, it is known that the chaplains of these units are a spiritual and moral center. So they're actually targeted. Hmm. So if you can kill that spiritual moral center... You can demoralize the troops, Just think if, heaven forbid, something happened to our pastor. What would it do to this church? Flock. So they are actually, and that's the persecution. So they're targeting chaplains in warfare. Yeah, and and that's you want to talk about persecution. Here you're walking in without a gun, and the enemy is it's just like dropping you. that flag. They want to drop that chaplain. Actually, read read about a few, and I I had it all queued up on my phone. My phone died. Uh, I just googled famous military chaplains, and there's a there's a list there that comes up to the top. And it talks about chaplains' gallantry in in battle, and none of them, of course, are listed as taking a weapon up. But it's saving the guys that were down. Right. They would go out into battle and, and risk their life, giving last rites, dragging them back to safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always joked. Uh, this has nothing to do with chaplains, but the spirituality and warfare. There's a Brad Pitt movie called Fury. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's one tank that fought off the Nazis. But Shia LaBeouf, which is, take him or leave him if you like him as an actor, he portrays a Christian in that movie. And I, I said, it's one of the best Christian movies I've ever seen because his faith is unshakable through the movie. And he's on the battlefield talking to men dying. First thing he says to him, do you know Jesus? If they say yes, then you have nothing to worry about, son. You know, so this is what those chaplains did. And going on with the stories, there's one of the most famous stories is called The Four Chaplains. And um, it was when a troop transport ship called the Dorchester was torpedoed during World War II. 
Four army chaplains ministered to the soldiers and sailors on the sinking ship. They all four gave up their life jackets and sacrificed their lives when the ship sank. Those chaplains, known as the four chaplains, were Lieutenant George L. Fox, a Methodist, Lieutenant Alexander D. Goad, a Jewish, Lieutenant John P. Washington, a Roman Catholic, and Lieutenant Clark V. Poland, Dutch Reformed. Never heard of that, but, uh, but so that just kind of tells you it's uh, faith in the military is, is very big. And uh, church services overseas are awesome. You know, it, I bet. It, Have you heard anything about the, they, they called it a revival going on at Fort Leonard Wood here, like last summer, this last summer, like 1,400 uh, soldiers were made professions of Christ in over a six-month period, three oh to six-month period. Well, yeah, so if you get a chance to Google that, but they're, they're, I think it was Fort Leonard Wood. Pretty sure it was Fort Leonard Wood. And I, I do recall that. Brad, if you have a couple pictures we can throw up on the radio. Um, but it's a huge job, chapel, oh, yeah. chaplain. Their, their symbol there, um, Pro Deo El Patria, is, uh, stands for For God and Country. And by the top right picture, that's very uh, common. Um, I've, I've been all around the world. When I was in Al Udid Air Base in Doha, it's the Persian Gulf, we would go out to a cross, basically like this in the desert, you know, and there would always be somebody there that would preach. And they did have uh, personal worship rooms and churches, but a lot of times we did this. Um, the bottom right corner one is uh, soldiers in Vietnam getting baptized. And I just think we think of the literal hell these men went through in all wars, but Vietnam, of course, is on the top of that list and what peace these men have. And then in the bottom left-hand corner there, we're showing um, that is a, a local minister just talking to the troops, helping morale, helping them get through the things they've seen. So you might have a tank to fight the enemy, but the things you see and the things you have to do, your orders, sometimes that chaplain is the most important thing on a battlefield. In the mind of a soldier yeah, and heart. So it, it was interesting to look up. I knew some of it, but the diving in, it is very neat. So I would encourage anybody to look up chaplains in the history of yeah, the military. Yeah, that famous military chaplains is what I plugged in and came right to the top. Yeah. All right. Um, just a few announcements. Next week is the Awana Grand Prix cutout night. So we will not have Bethel Radio Hour because um, most of the men, Gavin and Tom, will be downstairs helping. And any of us that come, we can all help. You're welcome to help. Um, Need all the help we can get. Yeah, more, the more hands, uh, the better. And then also the following uh, Wednesday night is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so we will not be here. Uh, services are dismissed that night. So we'll see you the first Wednesday in December again wow. for Bethel Radio Hour. I know, it is like upon 2019. us. 2019. Time to get the Christmas decorations out, folks. <laughs> um, so that's all we have for tonight. Thank you all for coming. Text in your topics or comments. We love it. Um, and we'll see you in two, three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Thanks, Thanks everybody.